Well, speaking of Little League, I had a player one time when I was coaching a Little League team. His name was McCaleb. McCaleb looked absolutely incredible at the plate. I'm not referring to his hitting. I'm referring to his batting stance. Every time he went up, he went through the same ritual. He'd knock the dirt off the cleat with a bat. He'd spit in his gloves, rub it together, you know. And then he'd, he'd step up in the box and assume the stance that was reminiscent of Ryan Howard. You know, he'd be ready. But Caleb, that was about as far as it went. He was a little reluctant to swing the bat. And if he ever did swing the bat, he missed it by a mile. So the only time he got on base was if he was walked or hit by a pitch. (laughs) At the plate, McCaleb had good form, but not a whole lot of content. I've noticed that many people's lives resemble McCaleb at the plate. They have good form, but there's not much content behind it. In Matthew 7, Jesus talks about that kind of person. And his words are really a little unsettling. I don't like them too much. (laughs) You probably won't either. He talks about false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing, and people to whom he says, sorry, I never knew you. When I read this passage, my first reaction is always, yikes! I don't want that to be me. For the last several weeks, we've been talking about the difference between religion and spirituality. And this passage in the Sermon on the Mount really defines what the difference means in our lives. Religion is good form. It looks good on the surface, but there may not be any depth to it. Spirituality, on the other hand, is good content. The essence of spirituality goes beyond the surface-level stuff. It goes right to the heart. Being religious is not enough. Even if you're good at it, I don't know too many people who are all that good at it, but even if you're good at it, it's not enough. If you want a relationship with God, you've got to go beneath the surface. You must strive for content. Now, this isn't easy because we're really a society obsessed with form, aren't we? It's all about form. We're not always concerned about what's in the package. We're concerned about the package itself. You know, when you buy a microwave dinner, you're paying more for the packaging than you are for the food. It doesn't make much sense that it should be that way, but the manufacturers know that if the package isn't attractive, people won't buy it. Every year, People Magazine publishes an issue dedicated to the 50 most beautiful people in the world. I've never been included in that issue. But I guess being number 51 isn't all that bad. Okay. It's one of their most popular issues because... There are, in fact, beautiful people around. But when you look beyond the perfect smiles, the perfect hair, the perfect bodies, and examine the content of these people's lives, you'll see that they're just as messed up as all the rest of us, if not more. 
Their lives are characterized by divorce or rehab, career conflict, a number of things. They may be the most 50 beautiful people, but they are not the 50 most put-together people. They're not the 50 most emotionally well-adjusted people. An entire issue dedicated to any of these topics, they wouldn't sell very well if they're about content, would they? Maybe a little boring for some people. The fact is good form is easier to maintain than good content. It's easier to project an image than it is to develop substance behind that image. I had a friend in high school whose family was, I mean, they were great to me. I I admired them so much. They seemed to have it all. The mom was pretty. The dad was cool looking in his Corvette Stingray. They had a beautiful house. They seemed to be very wealthy. I would see them in church, taking communion together as a family, praying together, kneeling together. And I'd say to myself, man, that's what I want for my family. I said that once to my friend in that family. He said, you don't want to be like my family. I said, why not? He said, well, you don't see my dad yelling all the time. It's like I can never please him. He's never satisfied. You may see us kneeling at the altar together, but you don't see how my dad made my mom cry on the way to church. I couldn't believe that he was saying this about his dad. But eventually... It appeared to be true. They went broke. Their marriage ended in divorce. But that's the problem with kind of putting all of our energy into the package. Because eventually the package gets opened. If you're projecting an image of success, but are living beyond your means, eventually it will catch up with you. If you're projecting an image of having a perfect marriage and family life, but your relationships are filled with anger and hostility, it will eventually catch up to you. If you're projecting a public image of being a moral person, but in your private life you're pursuing the wrong lifestyle, that's going to catch up. Eventually the package gets opened and people see what's inside. Good form is not enough. A pretty package is not enough. You have to develop content. In fact, the greatest tragedy you could experience is to spend your life performing this packaging, perfecting the form, and neglect the content. If you don't want to spend your life playing games like that, If you don't want your life to be one big cover-up, Jesus shows us three ways in today's passage that we can do to ensure that the content of our lives is equal to or greater than the form. Here's the first thing. Look for it. Look for it. Here's what Jesus says. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through that gate. But small is the gate, narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. I don't think Jesus had a smile on his face when he said this. 
doesn't make him happy to only have a few find his way. But he's simply stating a sad fact of life. See, the Greek word that's translated find, when it says only a few find it, that Greek word is very interesting. It's never used to describe an intense yet futile search for something that's hard to find. That's not what that means. It's used to describe something that is found simply by making the effort to look for it, the effort to look for it. You hear what I'm saying? That Greek word is never used to say, well, I hope I find it. God, I hope I find you. And God's over here hiding, playing hide and seek. It's just the opposite. It's if you will look for it, you'll find it. For example, Jesus talks one place about finding food and lodging or finding workers for the vineyard. Seeking and finding are closely related. The implication is not that many people look for the way to to go, the way to, to follow Jesus, and never find it. The implication is that not many bother to look. See how sad that is? You see how I, I know Jesus was not smiling when he said this. It's so sad. You know how most people choose which church they'll attend? You think they get out their theology books and do a doctrinal analysis of the various denominations to determine which faith tradition remains closely united with their beliefs and practices of the historical and orthodox church? You think they do that? No, they really uh, look for good parking. (laughs) They look for clean nurseries and friendly people, convenient service times. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with those things. In fact, Cornerstone puts a lot of money and effort and thought into making all these things nice. We know that that's what people are looking for. And we want to attract people and get them in here so they can hear the truth about Jesus Christ. We want something good for them. We're glad that you're a part of this church. But there's more to the Christian life than what takes place just here on Sunday morning. So we want you to keep looking, not for another church, but for a deeper relationship with God. That's what it's all about. Remember, in the beginning of this chapter, Jesus said, seek and you'll find. Seek and you'll find. He who seeks, finds. If you want a close relationship with God, you can have one. All you have to do is look for it. Even back in the Old Testament, God said this, if you seek the Lord your God, you'll find him if you look for him with all your heart and all your soul. If you want to build something beyond the surface of your life, you have to look beyond the surface of your life. It takes a little more effort to, to go after content. That's why the road is less traveled. That's why it's narrow. People just don't look. The easy way is to merely pretend to be religious. The narrow way to seek is to become spiritual. It's just that few people bother to look for the narrow. But those who look for it, they're going to find it. So that's the first thing. Just look for it. 
Second thing Jesus says is examine the content of your life. Once you look and see something, go ahead, examine it. Don't shy away from it. Here's what Jesus says. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Now, Jesus is talking in generalities here. A good apple tree may occasionally turn out one bad apple here and there, but that doesn't mean the whole tree is worthless. However, if an apple tree just turns out bad apple after bad apple, just that's all it does, that's a bad tree. Something is wrong. Jesus is talking about how we can recognize false prophets. But he's also doing something else here. We're all being talked to here. He's talking about how we can know ourselves. Here's the test. By their fruit, you will recognize them. By your own fruit, you will recognize you. Now, what's the fruit Jesus refers to? It's not religious work. It's not what he's talking about. Because later on, he uses an example of people who performed amazing works, yet never knew Jesus. So what's the fruit? Here it is. It's being like Christ. Christ Christ-likeness. Following Jesus. Being transformed into his image. The same fruit that Paul spells out in Galatians is what he's talking about. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit by which his followers are known. It's fruit we must look for in our own lives. In the letter to the Corinthians, the second one, Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Are you really in the faith? Examine yourself. Test yourself. I was talking to a pastor years ago, and I remember during this conversation, he'd say things like, you know, I have a graduate degree in divinity. I have thousands of theology books on my bookshelves. Yet nothing in my personal life indicates the presence of Christ. Now, he was just distraught. But I couldn't help but think, you know, if this guy is looking that deep, being that brutally honest with himself, he's going to end up okay. And he did. Today, he's still in the ministry. He's thriving in ministry. Each one of us needs to take a long, hard look at the fruit that our lives are developing. Do we treat others with love? Do we have a sense of joy about life? Do we experience God's peace? Are we patient when things don't go our way? Do we treat others with kindness? Do we do good when we have the opportunity? Are we faithful to God, our friends, our bosses, our spouses? When we have have to correct somebody, do we do it in a gentle way? When things don't go our way, do we practice self-control? 
If our examination turns out to be nothing but rotten fruit, we've got to get something fixed. We need to say to God, you know, the content of my life is not what it should be. And then pray to him, God, would you just take away my anger and fill my heart with love? Take away this bitterness and fill me with joy. Take away the inner turmoil and fill me with peace. Take away everything about me that isn't like you. Examining the fruit of our lives can be painful, just like my pastor friend, but it's also rewarding. It's like a successful surgery. It's not fun to go through, but so rewarding. You end up better. It's the only way to ensure that we spend our lives developing substance rather than perfecting our image. If we want good content rather than just good form, we need to examine that fruit after we look for it. And here's the third thing. We need to get to know him, Jesus. Here's what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. I told you I didn't like those words. How about you? In these passages here, right, this little section, three little phrases jump off the page. In no particular order, he who does the will of my Father. The person who enters the kingdom of heaven is the person who does God's will. That's what it comes down to. Not doing what you want, but doing what he wants. Like Jesus, when he was in the garden praying. Remember what he said right before he was going to be crucified? God, I don't like this too much. It'd be really nice if I didn't have to go through this. But it's not about me. It's about you. Not my will, but your will be done. Surrendering your life, your will, to his will. Letting him call the shots. Here's a question I often ask myself. I know I'm really busy, but am I busy doing God's will? We could probably all ask that question. Everybody's busy, but are we busy doing God's will? Here's another phrase that jumps out. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus speaks these words to people who prophesied cast out demons, and performed miracles, all in his name. And yet he calls them evildoers. Now watch this. That list of things are all flashy, high-profile aspects of ministry. You'll notice they didn't say, did we not feed the poor in your name? Did we not show love to the lost and reach out to the helpless? Jesus called them evildoers because every religious thing they did was for show, and it never got beyond that. We see this attitude today. Some people, they just want to serve in the glamorous ministries, like singing solo in the band or leading a Bible study, 
or representing the church at a city hall meeting downtown. But they're not really willing to rake leaves, change diapers, things like that. Jesus is saying that if your spiritual life consists of what you do in front of other people, then you may not have much of a spiritual life. Here's another phrase that jumps out. I never knew you. I never knew you. You know what that phrase tells us? Tells us what Jesus really wants. He wants to know us intimately. That's his heart. He wants to be able to say, yes, I know you. It's about a personal relationship with him. It's one that he seeks of us and one we should seek of him. I know someone who worked for a large company. He had literally hundreds of people that worked under him, indirectly some of them, but the majority of them he didn't even know. Maybe he didn't even see some of them. He left that job and began working for another company. It only had about 30 employees. He said, the thing I like best about this one is that I know all the workers personally. It's like a family. That's the relationship Jesus wants to have with us. That's why we refer to ourselves as the family of God. We're not really just the cornerstone family. We're the family of God. Developing a life of content means having a relationship with Jesus that extends beyond our public life. And it goes right into our private lives. It's a personal relationship. So get to know him. Spend time with him. Talk with him. Seek to find out what his will is. Seek to serve him regardless of how much recognition you get, even if it's none. That's the way we make sure our lives consist of content and not mere form. So this is all about what the package looks like and what's under that package. Eventually, the package of our lives will be open to everyone and they'll be able to see what's inside. That's inevitable. It always happens. We've all known people with private lives that when the package got open, it didn't match up with what they were doing. Politicians, religious leaders, athletes, entertainers. But that doesn't have to happen to you and me. It really doesn't. Our private lives can match up with our public image. can even be better. But it will not happen by accident. It doesn't just happen on its own. It will happen only by the presence of God in our lives, getting that better and better. We need to focus on the content of our lives rather than just the package. If our private life isn't what it should be, Jesus can help change us. It's all about him. We can't change ourselves. Very little things we can use our own oomph and make it work better. We need Jesus there. So let's be some of the few who look for it. Let's look for it. Let's examine our lives and ask him to take away anything that isn't like him. 
Let's get to know him and strive to do his will. This defines the difference between form and content, between religion and spirituality. Let's pray together. God Almighty, it is so easy to worry what we look like. We can look so good on the outside and the inside is falling apart. And we're here this morning admitting that you're the only one that can really change that. We're looking to you, Holy Spirit, to flood our lives. Fill us up with so much Jesus that there's not room for anything else. And we know you can do this, Lord. We know you can change us. And it typically doesn't happen overnight. You do it over a long period of time. We'll never reach your perfection this side of the grave. But Lord, help us to know that that's no reason to stop trying to be more and more like you. Change us, transform us into your image. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.